Let us pray. Silence in us any voice but your own gracious God. And into that silence speak your word, your truth, your grace, your power, your love. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Luke. The first through twelfth verses and then the seventeenth through the twentieth verses of the tenth chapter. Let us hear God's word. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person, but if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house eating and drinking whatever they provide for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick who are there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, Go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Last evening, nearly 180 of us shared in meals with a meaning. From all reports, good times were had by all. Meals with a meaning does two things. Both of them are important. It connects us at a deeper level, providing a unique relationship-building opportunity, and it raises important funds to support our ministry. A special thanks to Beth Ayton and to Hope Herding and to Becky D'Angelo Beach for organizing all of this. Thanks to all of you who participated and a special word of thanks to those of you who hosted these gatherings. We are grateful indeed. Several weeks ago, when the city's 
primary campaign season was in full bloom, Bonnie and I received a steady stream of visitors to our front door. Now it was an important primary for the mayor and city council and school board, and I appreciated the commitment of the canvassers, so despite occasional interruptions of jeopardy at 7.30, I always answer the door to engage in a bit of conversation with those who were knocking. So the doorbell rang, and I pop popped up off the couch. When I opened the door, I knew that this was different. No election canvassers. Two women, well-dressed, Jehovah's Witnesses. They asked if we could talk, and I said yes, we could for a few minutes. Their topic that day was angels, about which I confessed that I hadn't given much thought, though I knew that angels played a prominent role in the Bible. Now, I'm not sure they knew exactly what to do with me. <laughs> I told them I was a Christian. I did not mention that I was a minister, <laughs> because that often elicits a response I'm not particularly seeking. But allow me a tangent. Oh, you're a minister. My second cousin in Nevada is a Catholic priest. Do you know him? <laughs> oh, you're a minister. I used to go to church. Oh, you're a minister. Do you really believe all that stuff? Oh, you're a minister. You must believe this about that or that about this. You'd be surprised, I sometimes say. <laughs> oh, you're a minister. Have you read this book? If I say no, they always look crestfallen. If I say yes, they always want to have a book discussion. So I talk about the sports or the weather at that point. Oh, you're a minister. That must be very interesting. In this case, I clearly wanted to tell these women I was a Christian, but I didn't want to mention what I do because I didn't want them either to defer to me or try to out-Bible me. Both happen, neither are desirable. So we talked a few more minutes. They gave me a copy of the Watchtower and I said that while we may disagree on some things, we agree on some important things as well. I would pray for them. I asked them to pray for me, and I told them how much I appreciated their commitment. All in all, a win for civility and respect on both sides. Yay to that. I thought of those two women as we heard this morning's gospel passage from Luke's gospel. I thought about the culture and the context in which they would dress up and go out, a non-door-knocking, religion-declining world, knowing that they would encounter silence or indifference or skepticism or outright hostility, perhaps the occasional decent conversation, even rarely a truly interested party, 
Why do they do what they do? What is success to them? And does that even matter? And then we link this gospel passage with the passage Tim just read from the prophet Jeremiah. What is our vocation as witness, as missionary, here and now, in this place? What are we called to do, and why, and how, and what does success look like for us? Each passage, Jeremiah and Luke, speaks its word into a very particular culture. Jeremiah spoke his word some 600 years before the birth of Jesus. The people had been exiled from the land of Israel by the Babylonian Empire, and they were faced with a difficult question. How do you live in exile? Do you settle where you are, both feet planted firmly, or do you live as if you will return to your home someday, the promised land, one foot always out the door. Some 600 years later, Jesus spoke to his followers. He is preparing them to send them out two by two by two to share his message. And they too were facing a very difficult question. How do you live when you know you will not be well received? Now, in 2017, in Rochester, New York, we live neither in exile nor in a hostile culture. But we do live in a culture that is bewildering and indifferent, not sure what it thinks about religion, or absolutely sure what it thinks about religion that is simply not the religion that we embrace. And we live in a culture that is fractured in so many ways that exhibits huge gulfs between those who have and those who have not, between those who look and act one way and those who look or act a different way, certainly a gulf between beliefs. It's always a matter of how we live in a strange land, whatever that land is, how we as followers of Jesus exist as resident aliens. That's the faith story. In fact, in our history, the points when we've been the most comfortable in culture have probably been when we've been the farthest from our truest core. Now in exile, Jeremiah offers some surprising advice. Build where you are. Plant gardens where you are. Marry and multiply where you are. It is not your ultimate physical or spiritual home, but it is your temporary home. And it's where you are. And then Jeremiah makes an extraordinary ethical move. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Justice will come, says God, and I will eventually return you to your home. 
but for now make a difference where you are, including bringing justice and compassion in the city where you've been exiled. Jesus offers distinct but related advice. Go out two by two by two by two. There is so much work to be done, but there are not many to do it. And when you get out there, to the towns and the villages, to the back streets and the main streets, you will meet challenges, even hostilities. Jesus knows this. I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves, he says. This will be hard work, very hard work. But the Spirit will be with you. And whatever you encounter, whatever you experience, you will go with my blessing. And that is success enough. When we think of the word mission, or the word missionary, do we carry with us outdated concepts? People going off to convert those who are less fortunate, with less fortunate in huge quotation marks. That model was tinged with, if not soaked in, an imperialist view that included racism and classism and many other cultural and theological sins. If I've learned anything in all of my mission vocational journey, from tutoring in schools to LBGTQ rights to the recent visit of our Kenyan partners, it's that I have so much more to receive than to give, have so much more to learn than ever could be offered. If we use this morning's texts as benchmarks, we can craft an entirely new definition of what mission looks like and an entirely new job description for you and I called missionary. Mission seeks the welfare of the city. Mission shares the good news that the kingdom of God has come near. That will, of course, look like many things, but those are very good parameters to help undergird and direct our work. And it's a very good job description for those of us who might want to shirk the job title of missionary because we associate it with my knocking on the door experience, awkwardness, or proselytizing, or inappropriateness. And this is not that. Though it's always okay to share our motivations and inspirations as we seek the welfare of the city and help to usher in God's kingdom. So what does mission look like? Three examples from our own life at Third Church in these very days. Today is the Children's Sabbath, an initiative of the Children's Defense Fund in which we have been participating for nearly a decade. Sabbath has two meanings here. It's a period of time defined by a gathering for worship, but more importantly, it's a state of being devoid of violence and trauma and stress. A children's Sabbath 
is a commitment by us to work for the day when all children, our children, this church's children, the children of the city will be adequately fed and sheltered, nurtured and protected, cherished and loved. So sign a letter today after church as we recommit ourselves to the welfare of the children in our own lives and the children of the city. That's what mission looks like. This Thursday, we are privileged to host the New York Times columnist, Nicole Hannah-Jones. It is an initiative of Great Schools for All, for which Third Church is playing a primary leadership role. Hannah-Jones writes about education and focusing on how racism and poverty prevent urban children from experiencing the kind of education they so clearly deserve. So I hope you'll be here Thursday night at 7 o'clock. You will be challenged, I hope. But I also hope you'll be connected to hundreds of others who believe that the status quo is unacceptable and who are committed to change. That's what mission looks like. Two weeks from yesterday will be our eighth annual East Avenue Grocery Run. More than 1,000 walkers and runners will participate. Many of you will either run or walk or volunteer or all of the above. The Grocery Run is the primary generator of funds for our dining room ministry and our food cupboard. And it increasingly supports food programs throughout the city including our partners at the South Wedge Food Program and the historic Calvary St. Andrews site, that hunger exists at all in a land of such abundance. There's a cultural blight and a scandal to the gospel that we can do something about it by walking and running, by inviting and supporting. Is a creative missionary difference that will make a difference in the lives of the hungry of our city. And that's what mission looks like. Now these are all good things. There are many, many more examples from this place and many others of which you are certainly a part, and they all make a difference. They advance the welfare of the city. They demonstrate in flesh and blood, real life ways, what the kingdom of God looks like. Mission is engaging the culture, wherever we find it, not to be adversaries, but to be conversation partners, not to lambast or harangue or condemn, but to bring the best of our values, hope and justice and reconciliation to the table. Now sometimes that will look like collaboration. Sometimes that will look like education. Sometimes that will look like protest and resistance. Sometimes it will look like a 5K or a letter to a politician or a guest speaker. And it will be done always from a place of humility and integrity and clarity. We do what we do because of what we believe, because of who calls us, 
because we are committed to the welfare of the city and because we believe the kingdom of God is at hand. A kingdom that looks so much more like a peaceable kingdom than a conversion scene from early morning television. We are missionaries. And we do what we do because it's what we are called to do. Not because it fits within our lifestyle or our comfort level, nor because we think it might work, be successful. And like all those who have gone before us, we will face many things. Success, receptivity, hostility, uncertainty, skepticism, indifference. No matter. We do what we do from a sense of community, all of us. And with the faith that the God who travels with us and the Christ who sends us out is with us always. Amen.